Thank you, Pastor Trent and the worship team. I appreciate your leadership this morning. And just again, thanks, Pastor Dave and your family for welcoming us. And it's really good to be with you. And I'm privileged to open the word with you uh, this morning. Well, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of uh, Jesus and his disciples that's found at the end of John's gospel. Uh, If you know the book of John, you know that chapter 21 uh, it tells one of the stories of Jesus' resurrection appearances. And uh, the story begins with Peter telling his buddies, we're going to go fishing. And they head out on the sea at night, but they catch nothing. And uh, what's the last thing you want to hear when you've been fishing and you haven't caught anything? You want to hear some guy on the land telling you what you did wrong, right? And uh, Jesus, uh, Peter and his buddies are out in the boat, and all of a sudden they hear this voice from the shore saying, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? You know, and they're like, oh, gee, yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, and he says, well, why don't you throw the net on the other side? And, of course, the net is full of fish, and Peter, recognizing Jesus, it's the Lord. He jumps out of the boat and finds Jesus there waiting for them, where Jesus has prepared a fire with burning coals and is cooking some fish and some bread. So picking up the story, if you have your Bibles, you can read with me. or It's on the screen there. Picking up in verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Uh, This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and this invitation once again to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we would be open to your presence among us and Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these seaside stories of Jesus and his disciples have become a lot more meaningful to me since moving to the Philippines. Uh, The Philippines is made up of over 7,000 islands. Only about 2,000 of them have names, and even fewer are populated. Uh, Last December, I had an opportunity to visit one of the islands, uh, Negros Occidental in the Visayas. It's the middle part of the the Philippines. And um, it was the last day of the old year. It was December 31st of 2015. And we were staying overnight at a seaside home near the beach. 
And I woke up early that morning and I went for a walk on the beach. The water was calm and there was a gentle breeze. It was just a beautiful morning. And as I walked, I saw what you will see anywhere in the Philippines on the beach. You'll see fishermen because there are just fishing villages all around the coast. And uh, groups of three or four men and women were preparing the nets and getting the outriggers pushed out into the sea. Uh, the young boys and girls were helping gather up some of the fish that were being brought in. It's kind of neat, actually. We actually were able to uh, buy some shrimp. Now, how many of you know, knew that shrimp came from the ocean? I thought it came from the freezer aisle, you know, these little pink things in a, in a plastic bag. But they actually scooped these things right out of the ocean. They dragged the net in and dumped the shrimp out on the beach. And I was looking at the shrimp, and they were hopping around. And I said to my friend, can we eat those? Because they look really good. He said, oh, of course. So we bought some shrimp, and we had a little grill on the, on the beach that morning. Uh, that's kind of what they call sea to table, I guess. Uh, but those are the kind of things we get to enjoy. Um, but it's a very common sight that you'll see in the Philippines, which are just the simple, humble fishermen uh, doing what fishermen do, uh, going fishing. It's similar to what we see in our scripture this morning. In fact, there's not a big distance between these fishermen in the Philippines and the disciples uh, working their trade. Uh, but of course, these disciples that we meet in John 21, they'd had a remarkable experience. The last three or four years, they'd been traveling with Jesus, starting at the Sea of Galilee, going to Jerusalem, Samaria, the Decapolis, all around that region. And these were not the same guys, of course, that had left their nets those years before. Uh, most recently, they'd gone through the life-transforming experience of Jesus' death and his resurrection. I mean, their whole world had been turned upside down. And yet, isn't it interesting that the way John tells this story is immediately following Jesus' resurrection appearance in the upper room, what do we find the disciples doing? They've gone fishing, right? Back to their nets. What's up with that? Well, I think it makes sense after that intense, dramatic experience. Maybe you just want to go do something familiar, something that you know. Uh, it's not too different maybe than our students. We uh, graduated a big group of students this last uh, April. And, uh, you know, they'd finished their three or four years of seminary and they were excited about all that God had done in their lives. And you go through the graduation ceremony and guess what our students did that afternoon after graduation? They didn't go fishing. Oh, I've got to click here. They went bowling, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, you know, after all that excitement, all that drama... Sometimes you just want to do something that you know, something familiar. Well, the disciples go fishing. But Jesus has some words for his disciples, some final words, and we read them in John 21. And in John 21, Jesus invites his disciples for some breakfast, some fish and bread. Uh, this is a picture of some fish we grilled uh, by the sea. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, place to have fresh fish in the Philippines. But it's such a wonderful image. I love this picture in John 21. Here you have Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who'd conquered sin and death, you know. What do we find him doing? Making breakfast for his disciples. I think that says something, doesn't it? Jesus is still the servant. He is still willing to serve his friends. And as the disciples gather around the charcoal fire, Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. And I'm sure that calls to mind maybe the Last Supper as they're fellowshipping with Jesus now in his resurrected life. And then we have the, uh, the, 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 the story, it focuses a bit, right? And it goes from the sea and the nets and the, and the breakfast. And, the, and if you can imagine maybe as a, as a movie, the, the camera pans in close, right? 
and you have this conversation now between Jesus and Peter. But again, if you could imagine the moment, when was the last time Peter sat at a charcoal fire? If you know the story, it's probably the night of Jesus' betrayal. Uh, and so I think that was probably on Jesus' mind, or on Peter's mind, for sure, uh, the betrayal and wondering, you know, if Jesus was going to maybe give him a little bit of a, of a talking to for, for betraying him. Um, and I think Jesus knows this is on Peter's mind as well. And I think it's a very pastoral action that Jesus does to, to begin to talk to Peter. And it's really a, an account of Peter's restoration and his, and his recommissioning, in a sense, on his life from this point forward. And, and he turns to Peter with these simple set of questions. Uh, Simon, do you love me more than these? Uh, yes, Lord, I do. And, and it makes me kind of wonder what the these are. What do you think Jesus had in mind when he said, do you love me more than these? Maybe the boats, maybe the nets, maybe the, the Sea of Galilee, all of these things that Peter loved, good things. But the question is a question that we all want to think about. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Yes, then take care of my sheep. And again and again, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. It's a commissioning moment from Jesus to Peter. He's commissioning Peter to do what? Of course, not a literal sheep. It's people, right? To feed people to take care of people, to look after and watch over and love people. I like the sermon series that's coming up. It ties in well, actually, this call to love people, to care for people, to prioritize the love and care of people over all of these other things that clamor for our attention. Good things, fish and nets and seas, then looking directly into Peter's eyes, this invitation, follow me. This is an invitation that my students have heard and responded to. Uh, one of my students, Mark, Pastor Mark, his wife, Rollabel, and Sean, uh, become good friends of ours there. Uh, Mark lived by that seaside uh, village that I had the picture of of those fishermen. Uh, he was a boy, and uh, his parents owned a plot of land next to their home, and they donated it for a church of the Nazarene to be built. But when Mark was just uh, six years old, his father died, tragically. And uh, you can imagine the impact that would have on a, on a young boy. Uh, his mom was a school principal, but Mark had to work to help support the family, as many children do in the Philippines, just whatever sort of odd jobs they can get. And he used to help with the fishermen, taking the fish out the boats and preparing the fish. But you can imagine with your father dying at age six and having to help support the family, it puts a burden on you to, to be financially secure and to, and to make a life for yourself. Well, Mark went to school and uh, finished his degree at Visayan Nazarene Bible College in Cebu, and uh, he felt the Lord calling him to be a pastor. But when he got back to his home island, he started a little church and pastored for a while, but, but frankly, it wasn't enough income for him and his family, and he had to give up that uh, pastoral position. End up getting a job in a call center. Now, a call center is uh, common in the Philippines. If you've ever called a, an airline or a credit card company or your uh, cable bill, you might end up talking with some in the Philippines. It's an English-speaking country. So be nice to those folks. Uh, these are folks like Mark and his wife, Rollabel, works in a call center. Uh, they're working to support their families, to earn a living, and it's really good money. And Mark was making good money and enjoying his life and had a little extra to provide for his family. But you know, there was something missing. 
And God began to talk to Mark about this call to love and care and shepherd people. And he began to see churches that didn't have shepherds, didn't have pastors. And he wanted to go back, but he held back because of the financial need and the financial security that he was enjoying. And I would imagine that Mark had to have a conversation with Jesus, similar to the one that Peter had. Mark, do you love me more than these? You love me more than that extra income and the security it gives you? Well, yes, Lord, Mark would say. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Follow me. So finally, Mark responded to that call, and he gave up his job. He prayed with his wife, and they agreed. They moved to Manila so that he could finish his master's degree because he's uh, looked at as a leader on his island, and his hope is that after his degree, he'll be able to come back, not only pastor, but also train and equip other shepherds. Now, Mark's not just a student. He's also planting a church. Uh, He's my faculty assistant, and uh, he's our student body president. So he's a guy who's uh, really taking every opportunity he can to equip himself to be a better pastor to love and to train and to feed others. It's this invitation of Jesus, though, to love and care for people. That's what Mark is responding to. And many of my students. Chita, Achi, is another one of our students. She's uh, third from the left there. Uh, Do you know where Achi's from? Can you tell from the picture? Probably not. Uh, She's from India actually, from Nagaland State. It's northeast India, borders the Myanmar uh, border. Uh, She's the youngest of a big family, uh, happened to grow up in in a Christian family. And her mom's wish was that one of her children would serve the Lord in ministry. Well, Chita was the youngest, uh, Achi was the youngest, and uh, one by one, she saw her older brothers and sisters pursue other careers, uh, began to build families, and she was the last one. And so all that pressure, any of you ever had pressure from your parents to your mom or dad had a vision for you? And, well, her mom really wanted, yeah, a few out there know what I'm talking about. So what does a young woman do who feels this family pressure to go into ministry? Well, she needs to wrestle with that, right? And she needed to wrestle with it was her calling or her mom's calling or her own desires. And so she had to have a conversation with Jesus. And I don't know how that conversation went, but I would guess it went something like this. Achi, do you love me more than these? More than even your mom's expectations? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. So Achi was able to come to our seminary, and she's in our PhD program now in holistic child development because she feels a call to care for and love and reach out to children at risk. She has a special focus on children with disabilities because in many parts of the world today, you would imagine if you're a child with a developmental or or mental illness, there's not a lot of services provided. A lot of these kids just end up in home and and really don't have a lot of access to love and care. Achi wants to go back to her home and help to train and equip teachers and pastors and Sunday school teachers and parents on how best to care for these unwanted and often neglected children. It's interesting for her, when she graduates, she'll be the first person in her whole tribe ever to finish a PhD. That's a pretty significant accomplishment for her. She told me that she comes from a tribe that's considered to be a backwards tribe. And so it's a really remarkable thing for her to be able to go and and finish her education. She says, I want to do all these things for the glory of God, for the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Really what began as a mother's desire for her daughter is now her daughter's own desire. She's heard the call of Jesus to love and to care, to feed and tend to children at risk. Another one of my students is Yao Bin. That's Yao and his family. Yao comes from a Muslim family in China. You may not know this, but there's quite a few Muslims in China. Some are uh, geographically located. His uh, people are spread throughout all of China. Uh, it wasn't a very religious family. They would uh, practice some of the things like avoiding eating pork, but they weren't uh, you know, really active in the mosque, as you might say. In 2008, Yao Bin went to university to study ethnology. And on campus, he met a young lady named Christiana. Now, what do you think Christiana's family background is? Yeah, Christian. And uh, they began to date. And uh, as they began dating, they would share ideas about their life and faith. Now, I don't know if this happens in Centralia, uh, but in Yao Bin's case, when he was dating a young Christian woman, he began to go to church with her. And uh, as he went to church, he met other Christians, young men like himself. And he told me he was really struck by the, the joy and the peace, these fruits of the Spirit that these Christians were exhibiting. And if you know anything about what's happening in China right now, it's a really tough country to live in. They, they've kind of lost their moral center around communism, and really everybody's kind of in it for themselves. My Chinese friends tell me a lot of alcohol abuse and competition. And he noticed the difference between these Christians and his friends in the university. He was drawn into the faith, and in 2012, he repented and accepted Christ and was baptized in the Wuhan Tiny Dust Church. I don't know why I love the name of that church. Tiny Dust Church, very humble. Later that year, he and uh, Christiana were married. Well, as he began to get involved in his church, he actually showed some signs of leadership. And one day, Christiana's father, Yalbin's father-in-law, came to him and said, Yalbin, I want you to go to seminary and prepare to be a pastor. You see, Christiana, Yabin's father-in-law, had planned to go to our seminary about over a decade ago, but he wasn't able to. But somebody had donated some money for him and had left it in a scholarship. And so Yabin was able to access that fund and came to study in our seminary. But when he got to our seminary, he was really discouraged. He said, I felt so ashamed because I'd never done anything before. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to pray, I didn't know how to play the guitar, all these things that he assumed he should be able to do as a seminary student. And he said, I was so discouraged. And one day I went into the chapel, and he said, I was praying, and I said, God, why did you choose me? I don't know how to do anything. He felt this deep shame. But he told me that as he prayed, he sensed the Lord speaking to him through the Spirit. And you have had those experiences where... It's almost as if somebody's speaking to you, not audibly, but you get this deep impression. And he heard the Lord speaking to him, and the voice said, Grace, grace, Yao Ben. You are not worthy. I chose you because I love you. Isn't that a great thing for a young, uh, formerly Muslim young Chinese man to hear? It's grace. I think that's a wonderful thing for any pastor to hear and to build their life upon. We're not here. I'm not here because of anything special. Your pastor, he's probably pretty special, but, you know, it's grace, isn't it, pastor? It's because of God's love. 
And as Yao Bin began to gain that confidence and the love of Christ began to fill him, he began to sense the Lord calling him to go back to China and to minister amongst his Muslim family and his Muslim neighbors. Now you can imagine that's a pretty frightening prospect. Uh, not only do you have the opposition of the communist government in China, but also the opposition of the Muslim uh, neighbors. And so he was afraid. And he told me I was really wrestling with this. But again, I think probably as he prayed, he had to have one of these chats with Jesus. You know, Yao Bin, do you love me more than these? Uh, will you trust me? Well, yes, Lord, I, I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Follow me. Well, he's now preparing to work among Muslims in China. And uh, before we left, he said, Thanks be to God who removed the fear in my heart and helped me make a decision to follow his calling to minister amongst the Muslims in China. He said to me, With fear, we cannot truly love Muslims. We cannot share the good news of Jesus with them. But God has removed the fear in my heart and helped me to be strong and courageous. I love that testimony, don't you? I mean, we, we live in a world that's afraid of Islam, afraid of our Muslim neighbors, afraid of what might happen. Yabin is saying, I'm going to go, and I'm going to love my Muslim neighbors. I'm going to tend to them and, and feed them and, and shepherd them. I think that's a great, hope-filled response to some of the challenges that we face in our world today. Some of the tragedies in, this, in our own country, how do we respond to these? How about loving, caring, tending to those who are hurting and suffering? It's not going to be easy, but Yao Bin is confident that the Lord will provide. It's really neat for me now as a professor. I mean, I, I, you know, it's a strange title for me after being a pastor for 14 years. Uh, but it's a wonderful thing, really, because I can really relate to my students. Uh, it was really about three, a little over three years ago when uh, my wife and I were pastoring in Vancouver. Uh, loved the city, loved our life in Canada, um, happily serving. Uh, and then, you know, you get this conversation with Jesus. And he said, Grant and Ashling, do you love me more than these? You know, well, yes, Lord, you know that we love you. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And for us, that meant leaving these things that we really loved in Vancouver and going to the Philippines to work amongst our students and with my wife working amongst children at risk. But it's such a rewarding place to be as we prepare men and women for Christ-like ministry around the world in some of the most difficult places in the world. Now the last thing I want to do is give you the impression that this is only for missionaries or pastors, right? Uh, in fact, this calling, as you would know, is for all of us. I want to quickly share a story about my friend Dwayne. I don't know why I picked that picture. It just makes me laugh. But this is my friend Dwayne hiding behind a hamburger. And uh, Dwayne is from Canada. He's from Vancouver Island. And uh, as a young uh, adult, as an adult, he had a successful consumer electronics business. But uh, he had a personal crisis, a failure in his life. Um, but through that failure, he really experienced God's mercy and was restored and became active in his church. And it was during that time that Jesus began to speak to Duane about what it meant to follow him as a small business owner. And uh, 
I would imagine that Dwayne wrestled with this call. I mean, a lot of people struggle. What does my business life have to do with my life with Jesus? Well, it has everything to do with it, actually. And he began to hear this voice of Jesus. Dwayne, do you love me more than these? Maybe for him, the, the these were his, his security and his job and his bottom line and his profit margins. And Dwayne said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he hears this call to love and care for people as a small business owner. He said to me, loving and following Jesus has changed the way I treat my staff and my clients. He said, loving Jesus means to love his employees, to care for his clients as people, not simply human resources or potential customers. And so what Dwayne began to do was develop a safe atmosphere in his job. And he said it was, it was interesting, Grant. He said, I began to have my customers that come in, and they might have a complaint, and we would do our best to resolve that complaint. But often, as I listened to them share, I discovered that there was something else going on in their life. And as I began to think about being a shepherd to them as a businessman, they began to open up to me, and I began to minister to them. Now, he's not a pastor. He doesn't have a, uh, you know, a, uh, a lot of training in this. He's simply responding to Jesus' call to love and to care for people. It's a call that we all have as followers of Jesus. Now, Duane is actually enrolled in our PhD program in transformational leadership. Uh, his vision now is to train and equip other business owners uh, to help businessmen who want to be successful businessmen to develop good business practices and to grow their companies, but also to help them be faithful followers of Jesus, to love and care for their employees, to treat their customers with respect and dignity, to, to be a witness to Christ right in the midst of the workplace. I love what Dwayne is doing because the fact is, it's not going to be missionaries like me or pastors. It really is all of you who are the most frontline workers for the gospel. And it is your love and care for people right where you live, in your homes, in your schools in your workplace, as you shop in your grocery stores? Could you think maybe that Jesus might be asking you to love people, feed people, take care of people right in the circles where you live and work? That, to me, is the most exciting work of the church in these days. On the Asia-Pacific region, we have countries that we don't go into publicly as pastors or missionaries. We call them creative access countries. We have men and working who, women who are working in schools, English teachers, starting small businesses, welcoming refugees in some of these countries as compassionate ministry workers. It's some of the most exciting work of the church right now, and it's done by people just like you. So I want to encourage you today, maybe with these stories of my students, but also challenge you could you imagine uh, a conversation with Jesus uh, similar to the one that Peter had? Would Jesus be asking you to love and care and tend the people around you? Uh, the stranger, the immigrant, uh, the Muslim coworker or neighbor, uh, maybe to reach out to those who you thought might be a little bit different, or a little bit strange with the love and compassion of Christ. Well, I do want to thank you for inviting me to come. And it really is our mission to prepare women and men for faithful and fruitful ministry so that they can more fruitfully participate in God's mission in the world. 
And I hope you as well will join that mission in whatever capacity you're in and through the ministries of your church or through your work, in your play, in the life that you live. We are all sent in that sense, aren't we? We are all a part of God's redemptive mission in the world. And I want to encourage you to have those conversations with Jesus, to maybe spend some time even this morning in prayer. And as the worship team comes, I think there'll be a time of, of worship. And if you'd like to pray this morning or respond, if Jesus is talking to you, about people you might want to love and, and reach out and care for, I'd encourage you to listen and to follow.